You're tuned in to the Bruh's Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. In America, there's the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. And despite a greater focus on diversity and inclusion, women of color are still experiencing racism in the workplace. That's according to a new study from consulting giant McKenzie and Company about women in the workforce. Now comes gentle treatment, the ultimate relaxer. that conditions while relaxing. We continue our New Year New Job series with a conversation about making a good impression at your job, especially if you're the only person of color. I've been there or one of very few in your office. The ultimate relaxer. People often say that I am pretty for a black girl, for example. With my full schedule, I need a relaxer that works best for me. And that's why I choose Dark and Lovely Excel. It gives me long-lasting results with great bounce, body, and sheen. It makes my hair soft, luxurious, wonderfully manageable, and I just feel pampered. Embark on a journey into the clandestine corridors of corporate culture where ambition collides with identity and secrets lurks in the shadows. Beneath the veneer of diversity and inclusion lies a labyrinth of unspoken rules and hidden agendas. Nella Rogers, Wagner's only black employee, finds herself navigating the white-dominated spaces of the publishing industry. One day, Nella encounters Hazel Mae McCall, Wagner's newly appointed black editorial assistant. Excited at the prospect of solidarity, Nella soon becomes entangled in a web of secrets and betrayal. Unbeknownst to Nella, Hazel is tasked with recruiting her into a secret society aimed at taming outspoken black women through a brainwashing hair conditioning. As Nella delves deeper into office politics, she's confronted with uncomfortable truths about race, power, and success. Join us for Sakia Dalila Harris's The Other Black Girl, a gripping tale that sparks profound discussion about race, power, and friendship in the workplace. Give it. Hello, everyone. Hey, we have my line brother from the Geechee Gullah Islands of Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, Mr. Donovan Snipe. What's happening, people? And then we had the smooth, sicky, baritone voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton, the third.
Yeah. And you know what? We also have a, another guest, Harvey. Yeah, we do. Would you do the honors? We got another doctor in the house. We need some brain work in the house tonight. So I brought Yo. Dr. Danny to the screen. Dr. Danny. And she's training all the good folks at Howard University and making okay. sure that we have some some qualified folk out here who are trained to deal with the minds of black folk. So uh, Dr. Danny Harrison is one of my peoples from the uh, Culture of Health program. But I'm going to let her tell her story because like we always do. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Harvey. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, what am I supposed to say? A doc named Danny on the socials. I am at The Real HU, if anyone's confused, over here, Howard in Washington, D.C. I'm the residency training director. <laughs> I'm the residency training director for psychiatry. I also teach in the medical school and I see patients in between that. Um, what else do I do? I have my own podcast. I'm trying to be like y'all. Um, it's called The Next 72 Hours. It's about racism and medicine. Yes. I'm already listening. I'm already listening. We only have one season. We need to get it together. Um, but I had a baby and then my co-host had a baby. So yeah. Um, but we are getting it together recording. Uh, what else do I do? I'm on the Karen Hunter show. If any of y'all know Karen Hunter, yes. I'm on the yes. Karen Hunter show on Wellness I'm Wednesdays. Like That's where you can. That's where you can find me on some Wait Wednesdays minute, over there too. Danny, Doctor Danny, that's me. Oh, Wednesday. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm an old <laughs> fan. Look that's at that. Me. Donovan is a huge fan of Karen Hunter. I yes, was gonna say, yeah. Donovan, we were just in Charleston. We were yes, just. Yes, y'all were. The, I know. Yeah, we I were. Was so upset. I was just I there. What five days ago? Last week, I did, I was mm-hmm. skeptical because I was like, "Why am I going to a plantation?" But it was a a, a nice yes. Yeah, nice it was on, it was on Kewa Island, right? Yeah, we went to Kewa Island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this all um, and and I gotta do this. I hate to break the mood, but Donovan Doc and I started talking about you when we did the uh, finding Tamika. Okay. You want to ah. tell them about that, Doc, real quick about what you what your interest in Donovan. Yes, I mean, I've obviously I'm already obsessed with Donovan, but he didn't know that um, because (laughs) I was saying that um, the finding Tamika, I was already like very into that. And then y'all covered it. And I was like, Harvey, like, yes, like I should have been on that one because I was obsessed with that, um, that audible. But in our podcast, uh, the next 72 hours, we wanted to talk about uh, when our people go missing and the trauma that... um, follows with that generational trauma, the trauma that can impact, you know, a community of family individuals when our people go missing. As you know, I don't know, here in D.C., Relisha Rudd was like a whole big um, child go missing, mental health, homelessness, unhoused, whole situation. And then you were on there talking about how you had a family member who mm-hmm. um, had gone missing. And I was Correct. like, Harvey, I want to talk to him. I want to yeah. interview Donovan. Yes. Like, you need to uh, connect me to that. So that's how I um, became interested oh, wow. when y'all started with the um, Finding Tamika. Definitely one of my favorite top top two, not number two episodes for you. Okay. Well, definitely. Uh, we can definitely talk more about that and anything else you want to talk about. Now that, um, now that you know I'm on Karen Hunter, yeah. we can talk. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but before that, I was like, I mean, it's on the topic, but yeah, but I am like also like a stand for you as well. So it's like, even if you weren't on Karen Hunter, 
Yes. Yeah. Even though so Karen I'm, Hunter's dad is a is the bros. It's the bros. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Y- y'all sound like y'all doing some hazel talk right now. <laughs> it sounds like some hazel would be doing. <laughs> well, Being very familiar, very comfortable. Well, 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 well Hazel knows the formula. Sliding in. Speaking of which, let's, let's jump into it. <laughs> this so episode I'm, we're gonna be covering Zakaya Delia Harris's Delilah. Delilah. Zakaya Delilah Harris's. <laughs> One more time. There we go. That's why we don't be having the doctors. The other black girl. Carissa, you picked that book? I did pick that book, but I was trying to figure out who the author was that you said. Okay. Yes, the other black girl. That's that's the book that I picked. Yeah, why you picked that book? I picked this book because I cheated again. Um... Oh, my sister. No, I didn't. I never do that because okay. I hate okay. to. I I do not like to see something before I read it because I already know that that would skew everything and then it would just make my mind all over the place. But uh, my sister was reading this book and then my cousin read the book and they really enjoyed it. So I thought that I would take a stab at it so we'd have something to talk about. And I will leave it at that until we get into it. So similar okay. for me, my um my cousin and I have like an unofficial. It's just us. Um, we read books, and then one of my friends was also reading it, and this was one that we definitely were texting back and forth in the group chat about this one because this one it was doing a lot for me. It, it did a lot, right? Um, that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast. And that used to be one of my intros. Have you ever read a good book that you want to talk about with your friends? Well, that's what we do here at a Welcome to the Bros Bookshelf. That was the old one, the old intro. But yeah, that's that's one of the reasons that inspired the That intro the was so dope. That intro is classic. That, that intro <laughs> you think that was dope, dope Harvey? Absolutely. Um, and I think that, that inspired the podcast because we do read books. And sometimes we find like, it's not that many people who have read that book and you want to talk about it right there at that moment. Right. And, um, and that's why we're here today. But um, I want to pose this question before we start talking about this book. And I want you guys to keep this in mind. Was Hazel a protagonist or an antagonist? Hold on. Dog. We always do this. We didn't introduce the characters, but yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. You're right. It's right. how we do it, right? It's how we do it. It's yes. just how we do it. We just there's right. a character named Hazel, and Hazel is a bad person. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, you think she's a bad person? Why, why you think so? You think Absolutely. she's a uh, an antagonist? Absolutely. Definitely why you think Hazel's an antagonist? Villain. She's the villain. A hundred percent. She's the villain. She mm-hmm. she's definitely the villain. She is not here for the sisterhood. It's superficial. There's a lot going on. Then she's making people gaslighting people, making you paranoid. Got double lives. Got another name in another city. Like n- nothing is good about Hazel except her hair, maybe her locks. I, I'm you know I don't maybe. I think. Imagine was really good gaslighting. Soon. I feel like it's really smooth and like she smells like cocoa it butter. Good. Yeah, like oh, yeah. it says that like cocoa yeah. butter was the first sign. Yeah, like yeah. that. That's how you knew she was in the room. 
Other than that, <laughs> she's like, good. Hazel has nothing that we need to me. Why you say she gaslight? I, I want Yeah, that's the word, gaslight. Yeah, that, yeah. Step, step I mean, into you know, that. I'm, I'm here to bring y'all the psych terms. Um, yes. The mental health aspect. So gaslighting is when people an individual, or could be a group, um, try to make you believe something contrary to what you know to be true. Like, um, it could be like, um, I know someone stole something from me. I left it here. I was here. Now it's gone. They tell you, like, are you sure? Are you sure that someone stole something from you? Are you sure that that's what happened? Is that is that really what was going on? And, you know, extreme It's like, someone said something racist to me. Like, well, is that what they really meant? I don't think so. And then it makes you second guess. It makes you paranoid. It makes you wonder, did they say that? Am I acting crazy? Is that what's going on? Is that what's going on? Are people against me? Is, is she against me? Are, who is writing these notes? That is what Hazel did. And so Hazel cannot have any good parts coming from me. Hazel is the villain. I guess Nella, Nella turned into a Hazel. I don't know. We'll talk about it. Well, hold on. Did Hazel write those notes? Uh, Hazel didn't write those notes. No, Hazel didn't write those notes. Right. Uh, yeah. She also wasn't notes. like super concerned about who wrote the notes either. She was like, oh my gosh. But she wasn't here. Like she I'm on the fence. The only reason why I'm not 100 percent committed to Hazel being the protagonist is because that little stint that she pulled off in the beginning when she pumped her up like, girl, you know. Oh, that's horrible. Pins and needles, Sharkeisha. That was a setup. And then she kind of switched out on it. Well, you know, I didn't really think that. That's not my style. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Teresa, what you think? Do you think she was a protagonist or an antagonist? It depends on what side of the fence you're sitting on. Correct. So if she is doing a duty, if she is helping other women, black women, women of color, and helping them to be in the workplace and have a better sense of community and not be upset about the microaggressions. And if that is your take, then she is an antagonist. If you, if your take is that that should not be done, then she's an antagonist. So this is just the world we live in. And I always look at, you know, history has shown us that it doesn't matter how much we protest, how much we try to go against the system. The system has so far been undefeated. You can live your whole life trying to fight it and then just die and be forgotten. Nothing has changed. At the end of the day, what's really important to you and the things that are important to you is your children, your legacy that you leave behind. We can't do that without any financial support. Charleston White, when he was talking about, no, I'm not a, uh, a community sake, activist sake, no sake, more. Sake, 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 sake. He said sake, because sake, they broke. Sake. Only people who think about community is broke, motherfucker with money don't give a damn about fixing the community because a wise man stores up a inheritance for his children's children's children. Nowhere does it say the community. The community when that's a broke motherfucking behavior. Every day I was walking out that door to go help the community, I was turning my back on my children, my n- when I wasn't storing up no inheritance. And I was coming back home broke. Spending all that goddamn
time and energy and, and emotions and, and mental and psychological. I'm giving all that to the community with no return. Walking back home. Daddy, can we go get some ice cream? No, dad ain't got it. It's a, come on, homie. I was turning my back on them. Not only that, I was turning my back on myself. My yeah, 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 yeah. Say, 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 King died broke. Say. Right. We covered Malcolm X. We talked about how he died broke. Money was never a thing, but money does need to be important because we need to eat. We need to have health insurance. Hey, that scene in Black Messiah when he be like, I believe I'm going to die in no car, eh? I don't believe I'm going to die slipping on no ice. No. I don't believe I'm going to die because I got a bad heart. No. I believe I'm going to die doing what I was born for. Yeah. I believe I'm going to die half the people. Yeah. I'm I die, die for, for the people. people I, I die for the people. And, and baby girl be looking at him and look like. Exactly. Because no, she was pregnant. Right? Baby home. What right. you mean you Harvey, You remember in one of those episodes, you said you was looking at your daddy photos in college. He had on all these dasikis and stuff. He said, Daddy, what happened? Yep. I had to go to work. Go to work. Yep. You know what I mean? So if we got to go to work, we can't stop these microaggressions, but we sure would like something that can make it go over a little well. So <laughs> she was giving these grease. Negroes <laughs> grease to straighten out them tight curls. Cause they was too, they was too tightened up. Straight so she was, she was trying to help these nappy head hoes. Some hardcore hoes. That's, that's some nappy headed hoes there. I'm gonna tell you that now. Oh, oh, man. man, that's some. Ooh. So it could be a little bit easier. So they, can, so they won't be so sassy. They know how to play the I'm game. Rolling your damn climb up the ladder. I'm rolling your <laughs> neck and popping and popping and popping yeah, and no, no, popping your I hands. Mean, no, and no, we ain't gonna no. be doing this. Oh my goodness. If it isn't Little Miss Attitude. No. <laughs> I say all that to say, I think she was trying to help. Mm. help. She was trying to help. She was led by white people, though, to make black people conform. She was led by white people to make black people conform in their in their space, yeah. In their space. For them to be like, oh, yes, Amasa, it, it doesn't bother me. It's not yes, Amasa. No, it's I'm more money. With it. Oh, man, money. It's a money. money, money, money. It's a money. It don't I kind of feel money. like right now I have had some smooth out or something, whatever that was called, because <laughs> that last little tirade you just had was ridiculous. Oh, wow. And, um, you clearly said nappy head hoes. That's what you said. Um, and I didn't even snap. I just sat here and I just let it be said. So clearly I'm on something right now. I think that somebody might have slipped some in uh, somewhere. But what do you say, Teresa? What do you say over that talking records? What do you say? It was. It was just flowing and I I said nothing. So what I'm going to say right now, though, is um, I'm not sure. I guess maybe to a some level. So we know that Richard was involved and Richard Wagner, of course, is uh, the owner of Wagner Books and um, the head of everything. He's everything for Wagner books and he is a white man, but I don't think it was his idea. 
um, I think that this all came from, this was a black idea. So I think in this instance, it came from a other black girl with the financial backing of a white person. So this would have to come from us. Mm. It came from the author of Burning Hearts. It came from... Supported and funded by a white man. By a white man. But the white man was also sleeping... I mean, the white man was sleeping with this woman. and but But she brought it to him. He did not take this to her. Our... He she took this to him because another black friend of hers who was a um, chemist had been working on this and it was not working. So she took it to her white financial backer who made it a little bit better and then it got a little bit better. And then now there's this product that they can use and it smells good and nobody's itching and it's smoothing everybody out so in another way this is significant of how we can treat each other how it can come from us even though we want to blame someone else or you got help from somewhere else but this came directly from us out of our thoughts birth from our thoughts our ideas our inventions or how to survive in a white space, our thoughts on how to be calm and survive and make it through without any bumps in a white space. So tell I me, what's wrong with that? What? Tell me, what's wrong well, with that? What's wrong with it is that all of these characters were actually losing themselves, so they weren't like becoming necessarily better oh. versions of whoever they were. They were just like, I'm just going to lose whoever I am oh, and just God. be the performance. But the performance never ends. So like, now you got more or less like shells of black people walking around promoting uh, caricatures of blackness, right? So it was like- But shells that's what we have people. right now in corporate America. <sighs> yeah, the but don't, say that. Don't, don't say that. Don't, no, the no, no, you no, get, I don't know. Don't you say that, the more man. of a shell of a person you become of yourself. Don't Not you necessarily, that, but the thing that, that I want to look at before we even go there is- we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves and we want to look at it in the most basic sense of what it was when it started. Now it grew into something and a movement and a, a whole bunch of other stuff that, you know, everybody seems to take this book a little seriously. I look at it as a comedy. I I, I really cannot take it seriously, but when the author found herself or thought herself to be blackity, black, 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 when she got to this point it was just about self for her it was just about herself and what she wanted to accomplish based on where she wanted to go and it was just the conflict with her friend that made her see what was happening. And then you look at the dichotomy again, you have the one who went to the Ivy League school and had to surround herself with white people and it made her blacker in the sense of what we're talking about. Not that that's actually a thing, but Mm -hmm. just a word that we're going to use for description. But then the one who 
started off saying, oh, I'm going to Howard and I'm going to do this and I'm the black one. You shouldn't go over there with those white people. She ended up being the one who had insulated herself from that. But once she found herself in that space, she was the one who wanted to do anything that she could to stay in that space. And that even meant turning against her marriage vows. It meant, you know, stabbing her best friend in the back. It was a lot of things. So there's a lot going on in the beginning that made me take this seriously and start to dissect those things. But then as the book moved, I just had to throw it all out the window. (laughs) And maybe that's what I should have done, Teresa, because I was still reading with that same Feverance and like, ooh, this is like a super black drama, a vignette of what we go through, super serious. But then it's like, ooh. what? Anybody know the bathroom? And then you, and then you get that knock, right. and and somebody is in the middle of the night asking you, "What's the question? Or what's the code word? Or what's the?" And I'm like, "Wait, wait a minute. What?" I feel like it was like two books. Like it started off so good, and I was like really interested, and um, then I'm like. Is this sci-fi? Is this a comedy? Is this a thriller? Like the last third, I was like, "Where? What is happening? Is this, Where are we? is this the same book that we started off with that was given like a good picture of what it's like to have to survive mm-hmm. in corporate America? How you can make it through as a black person mm-hmm. surviving in a, a white space? And even I felt like Nella was going through her own little things, like because she had been there as her black self, but not really black, black. She mm-hmm. wasn't really black. Like she was black. Like, Oh, like, I don't even think about you as black. That's how she was. I feel like right. how she was over there. Right. Like, like she was like, a, Nella was oh, you're black. Like, Oh, okay. And then, <laughs> um, I don't see color. That's what she was given. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't see color. That's what she was given at first. And then, one? um, Hazel came in there and, they were like, oh, are y'all the same person? Oh, you're different. Oh, Hazel Hazel wears head wraps. Like, oh, Nella, you've mm-hmm. never done that. Like, oh, let, let us, oh, diversity, DEI, check. Like, and it seemed like that made Nella a little bit like, oh, I could have been being a little bit more black, but am I black? I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get that. Well, Nella, yeah. I didn't get that in the beginning. I think Nella was being black, and but she was like, almost like the angry she black girl. Muted. No, she was being muted black. She was being acceptable yeah. black because she thought that's she how was. she had to, she she was she had to survive. But then, she was in the then Hazel came in with her locks and her head wraps and her cocoa butter and they mm-hmm. embraced it and they loved it. Like, oh, can you, and you, can know you what? my hair? Then she was like, oh, Danielle, I could have been my whole most, black self the whole time. You know what the most ironic part about Hazel's character when she first came in? Wagner was this really prestigious, hard to get in publishing company. She came in there unashamed like oh i don't really have this much experience oh i've never edited a book before all my experience mm-hmm. been in magazines but nella didn't have any experience either i learned that was strategy i felt like that was strategy that was that was Hazel was the bad person yes but there was a lot of strategy that came with hazel yeah so, hazel was a plant yeah so but yeah. but that scene that lenny just spoke about a, a personal takeaway from that. She disarmed these folks. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yes. if you're going to yes. play a game, I don't believe in playing a game till you're going to lose yourself, as Jonathan spoke about earlier. But to disarm people, 
to walk into the room and say, this is my flaw, everybody, and I know it, oh my gosh, I've seen it happen. And the people who do that and do it well, they get whatever they want after they do that. Have y'all seen that movie that came out five years ago with the guy that played in Atlanta? Atlanta, oh, all that, yeah. my white voice. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer, this is Langston from Regal View. What can you tell me about the white voice, my friend? I can tell you that in this film, the white voice is a metaphor for many things. In the film, but the voice itself represents more of a feeling as uh, Danny Glover's character has this realized, a, a positioning in society, uh, a feeling, one feeling at ease and comfortable in one's skin. Uh, one feeling as if, as if they are part of the majority. It's something that it is the opportunity mostly afforded in this country to white people. What's it called? Um, I'm Boots Riley. I'm the writer and director of Sorry to Bother You. <laughs> sorry yeah, to Sorry to Bother You, you yeah, but he uses yeah. his white voice in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. But then at the end, he turns into a horse. Again, yeah. what, what, what's happening? What is going on? So the horse people are trying to show this racialization to create class. And it draws parallels between horse people and black people. The traits of horses that they emphasize to look for in Cash's possible transformation are traits stereotyped onto black people. Large nostrils, big dick physical labor. All of the horses shown are brown, too, matching black people's skin. Dude, I'm from East Oakland. This way, it's trying to show continual efforts to make black people seem non-human. Animalistic, with a brute strength literally designed for slavery and hard labor. Like, what? It's starting to be a trend. Are yeah. they saying that our struggles are so layered? It's like a comedy. I mean, yeah, come on, man. Like a sci-fi horror film. Let's do, let's do some bad day. words. You got to be crazy in this motherfucker to think it's okay. So then the or story itself Unless I give you some, some bomb to make you You got to be crazy like, to walk around here with a straight it. face and just act like everything is cool. Right, right, Harvey. So, so I think one of my favorite parts of the book, which I don't know that I like the book, but one of the parts that I did like of the book was what you had brought up earlier when she um, was like, oh, no, Sharkisha, that's tropes. Like, you got to attack that. Yes. And then you got to come for it. And I was like, yes, yes, come come for it. Yes. And then, um, then she was like, oh, I didn't say, you know, she backed up off of it. And then mm -hmm. it was, are you going to apologize? And I feel like everybody, like every Black person has had at least that one time in your corporate America or in this white space. Definitely in corporate America. Like, am I going to say sorry or am I going to walk away from these funds? And I felt like they did, the author did that well right there. Am like, I going to say sorry for some I shit I didn't sorry? do? How am I going to say sorry? What am I going to do? But Hazel came in as like a hustler. Like, you know how people come in and play pool and they hustle you? They be like, mm -hmm. I never, I never played pool before. Whoa, mm -hmm. is this a ball? What is this yeah. thing right here? Whoa, mm -hmm. this is right. crazy. Is, do you where do the balls go? And then they hustle and run and run game on you. That's what Hazel was doing. That's what yeah. Hazel did yeah. from jump. She smoothed it. Did she bring them some bagels? Is that what people like? Yes, yeah, she some brought muffins, some them. bagels, some locks, yeah. cream cheese, whatever oh, she brought. Crates. Like they 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 loved it on up. Like, how can she have no experience and just be killing it? Nella, why aren't you like her? Um, got her <laughs> boss liking this one. Like, 
she hustled she hustled them at wagner mm-hmm. and that was all part of it and she hustled nella also to get to the point of like and i think that was really a pivotal moment like are you going to say sorry or are you going to walk away are you going to say sorry to stay in this money in this coins in this position you wanted or are you going to walk away and what 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 do the kids say are you going to stand on what business, business. whatever they say i'm going to stand on I'm, am I going to stand on business? I'm going to stand on my values and what I know, or am I going to take some of this bomb and just say sorry to this man and perpetuate stereotypes and further set things back for black people? She had to decide. And I feel like every black person has that moment. It might be every day with a microaggression or a big issue. Like, am I going to say something when somebody insults me? Am I going to say something when it's systemic racism, institutional racism. Am I going to say something or am I going to be silent? So I like how she did that. Mm. She did a good job with that. Doc, I've heard people who went through medical school, they hated it because they said they had to change who they were as a person just to get ahead, you know? And it's always about changing to get ahead with this thought that once I get in, I get to be myself. But they get in, and then they're like, I don't even know why I did this. This is, this no is not what I signed yourself. up for. There's no space to in. be myself. It's rough. Yeah. What do we do when we learn that? Right. There's no space to be yourself. Is, is that our reality? Kind of. Operating in this world, yes, it is, because we're in a world of racism, white supremacy, and capitalism. Ain't really no space to be blackly black, because that, that gums up the system. That stops the system from working properly. It, it makes you stop and consider things. And we don't, ha- we don't need you pausing and considering when we need you to write this book or edit this thing or push this agenda that we have cooked up. So just go with it. Smile, smell good, and give us these bagels, and you can have an easier life. But the whole Nella conflict was like, well, do I ever really get to be myself, right? Like, and Nella was a contradiction because she wasn't really fully herself in most of the cases. Like, she was always, like y'all said, like a muted. Well, or, well, uh, well, keep your point, Donovan. Okay. There are black people who are very confident in their orientation mm-hmm. and live in the world they live in. And mm-hmm. I think that was Nella. I think she had a very sound understanding of what it meant for her to be black Mm -hmm. to live the lifestyle that she wanted to live. So I think she would not have had a problem identifying with black, whatever that is, but this was her experience. It wasn't as radical or whatever the other word might be expressive, if you, as you will, for someone else, but she was happily a black person who grew up in Connecticut, who was dating a white boy, but she was, she was a black woman. Yeah, and she struggled. I think that she struggled with her identity in a sense that we have those. Like, I I think that this book was was trying to put out as many different types of black girls as possible uh, when (laughs) it it, when it came to that and different experiences because we, I mean, I I know you know people like that and they seem to be very black but then when you get to know them and you find out well they grew up in this neighborhood um that their you know their boyfriend significant other are they're caucasian and that they still see things in a different way but it's not 
brought to their attention until they are in a situation where they are the only. Because for the most part, they're able to maneuver in society in the world that they're in. But then you get to work and now you're just that black girl when you weren't just that black girl in the surrounding that you came from. What makes it so difficult and it's hard for us is because when you're living a fiction and you're constantly trying to make a fiction the truth, none of it makes sense. So what's, Nella, the, fiction? what's, what's the fiction? Racism. I want you to be clear. Race, race is invented. What part yeah, of colorism? It? Yeah, racism and colorism. So Nella is an example. But hold on, I, w- I want to be clear. Is the fiction that it doesn't exist, or the fiction is the lie of it that you have to adhere to? So there's a there's a there's a premise that racism doesn't exist, or there's a premise that white people are just better than black. To me, they live in the same space, but we live in a culture that's made up and is forced. It's it's just lies on top of lies on top of lies. That's why it's so convoluted. And sometimes it doesn't have to be anything that's built up that bothers us. It's just how they handle you sometimes or not knowing they're handling you like you're a subordinate and they are superior. They're handling you. <laughs> well, well or, or how they how they making decisions or there's so many layers. You, this in the story. This in the story. So she goes, this, you know, Nella goes up. And she gets to college and she sees the sororities and stuff. And the assumption is that she's going to join a sorority and she doesn't because she doesn't fit in. You know, I think there is an assumption that all black people. Well, well let me put it this way. I've heard black people say it this way. Um, if you don't go to, to, to if you don't do white Jesus and you don't and you're not part of a black Greek letter fraternity or sorority, you're not going to make it in the upper echelon of the black community. If you don't do white Jesus or you're not part of one of these Greek letter organizations, so you're not going to make it. Or. Preferably both. But oh. if you don't do, if you, if you zero. At least and, one. Yeah. So you're basically you're a pariah. Yeah. And so, and just, and just to that point, you know, that we got Dr. Danny on the screen. She's not part of an organization, a Greek letter organization. Right. And uh-huh. but totally different experience. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. What that sounds like, the idea that either you're going to do the white Jesus or the black Greek letter organization. This is these are your two calling cards to be part of the black uh, respectable community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, HBCU, I feel like. A- also HBCU, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's the, the third. HBCU, yeah. So I have the HBCU life there. But for me because I teach a lot and write a lot about racism. And, you know, people are able to, like, say, like, oh, yes, like, overt racism. Oh, the KKK, that's bad. Okay, I get that. But when it comes to the the fine fibers embedded in this country, systemic racism, institutional racism, um, then that's that's more challenging. Well, I'm not racist, but, but you treat this patient different than you treat this patient when they have the same condition. And what is that? a cultural norm, a hidden curriculum in medicine that allows that to continue. So back to, I want to say a little bit on Donovan's point about she was like a shell of herself or like a muted black person. I think now there's systemic, there's institutional, yes. But one that we often don't touch on is um, is when you start to accept the racism. It's when I start to believe this 
like me on an individual level believe that oh yes black women are angry so angry black women are it's not a trope that i want to accept i don't want them to think that about me so i'm gonna change how i move i'm gonna change how i express myself i'm not going to i'm not going to get loud i'm not going to make a protest if something seems crazy if they're talking about sharkeisha and she's a crackhead and she has a crack mom and all this i'm just gonna i'm gonna live with that because of this internalized racism i don't want to i don't want to rock the boat i don't want to make people think something else and i think she's socialized in that way so even when she chooses a partner when she chooses a school, when she chooses a job, when she chooses what publishing house to apply to, there's always the thought that, yes, this is better. Yes, it is better to be in a white school. It's better to be in a white neighborhood. It's better to be here. That's why her parents wanted her to be raised there. Well, let me go with a safe, nice white man to live with because we're socialized because of this internalized racism, which is the other type, because, oh, I got to accept this because I don't want people to think this, so I'm going to move about this space in this certain way. Do you think that was intentional or it's just natural? I think that she's just comfortable with being with white men and it became her. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying like she intentionally did that. I'm saying this is something that's built into the fiber of this society and this culture that that's what is acceptable. That's how you survive. That's what you do. Um, Because it's internalized, it's going to feel good. It's internalized, right? You absorb that. It's conscious, as Dr. Wilson would say. We don't even know we're doing it. We're just doing it because there's something in our fiber that says we got to do this to survive. I'm about to play devil's advocate in three, two, one. <laughs> Is there not an angry black woman? Definitely. Oh my goodness. If it isn't Little Miss Attitude, why are you always over here? I mean, don't you have a bag? Okay. And yeah. so that's Anyone a thing. Anyone can be angry because absolutely they can be angry, angry and, white men too. They just and, aren't and, to be bold. And I think that and good we, leaders. No, we don't. We don't say that. We say there was a whole book called Twelve Angry Black Men about the jurors and all that. I had to read that probably in the sixth grade, something like that. But I mean, but but there is a thing. So we tend to live our lives based on our experiences and what we see. What we see, how we live, what we get when we live in certain places. And, you know, of course, there's a way to look at those things. And we've already discussed systemic racism and why some of those things are. And because we're educated people and we know what the whys are, I think that we either excuse the why or we recognize and move through it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so some of the things that we do, we do... You know, and I I have to get away from this a lot of times. I am very complex in a lot of things. So I grew up in a society that was very much what we're talking about. But I have lived and placed myself in about as black 
as you can. I mean, from the moment I graduated from high school, I think that I have purposely surrounded myself in blackness so that sometimes I can be out of touch with people who have to deal with that because I don't have to pretty much. I've kind of put myself in a box. I mean, just like you at Howard, um, right now we live in Atlanta in a very insulated area. I could go days without seeing a Caucasian person, but there are still things that I know and that we all do that we do because it's the right thing to do. I don't feel like I've ever said to myself, oh, I'm not going to get loud and I'm not going to because I don't want to be seen as the angry black woman. But I don't want to get loud because I don't want to get loud. That's who I am. I mean, so I don't feel like you're a devil's advocate with that one. I feel like you're just on a different layer. And um, that's for you, right? That you don't get loud. But there might be people who move in different spaces. Like I've had positions in organized medicine, like national positions. And I've said, like, why are we doing this? Like, this doesn't make sense. And they're like, well, well, don't get upset. Don't get upset, Dr. Harrison. I'm like, I ain't even mad. I'm not getting upset. This is my, my regular self. putting but that, that off on you. Right. It's not so, you. Right. And so I might, if that happens to me, 5, 10, 15, 100 times, be like, well, let me, let me change how I approach this. Let me not say anything in this meeting. Let me put it in the chat so people don't think anything about my tone. Let me send an email about it instead. Um, or you now, might get upset and say, damn it. Every time I say something that's in contrary to what you're saying, you're saying I'm mad. But now I'm mad, goddammit. So next time when you be. think I'm mad I and if I don't have this tone, then you know I'm not mad. Well, mad. well who is responsible for that? Why can't I just that? be human? You're human. That's don't nobody weird. ever say you're mad or don't nobody ever say these things about you. They just let you be. I just want to be. That's, that's but is it problem. acceptable? It's we not acceptable there either. It's not acceptable on either side. So what you're saying is the same thing that I say to you. Like if you do that to anyone, you shouldn't do that to anyone and no one should do it to you. They Red, yellow, purple, green. No one should talk to anybody anyway. That, that is think. not acceptable in any sense. Teresa, you're absolutely correct. I think I did the same thing you did and try to isolate or insulate myself within a certain community. And I love it the way I live. Right. But I think I started to, how can I say this? I got so used to accepting that the world is the way that I know it is that I forget how much people don't view the world the way that I do and they can't handle it. They're, they're like, in, internally suffering from having to have that experience every day because they're going into these environments where they are being questioned, they're having that moment, and they don't know what to say, and they're stuck in it. Where me and you, well, you know, we, I ain't dealing with them. I just stay over here and, and read a book <laughs> and go do something else. You know what I'm saying? And I don't have to deal with it. But these folk are stuck. And I'm, well, I'm I mean, in, in that sense, yes. And and we I think that we're we're all kind of saying the same thing, but we're still, I guess for me, right is right, wrong is wrong. And I 100 percent agree that all of these things exist, which is why, of course, I was like, yeah, I'm not going over there. Oh, I'm going to work at this private school. Yes, I'm going to work all of my, you know, I'm 99.9 percent 
black here, you know, but I understand that when I walk outside of wherever I am, that is totally different. Now, my surrounding spaces were not that way. Work, home life. I didn't have any black neighbors. Yikes. But that's just what it was when I got home. But by the same token, we all have a responsibility to say, to teach for people to know. They are going to get what they get. They're going to learn from me what is acceptable and what is not. You're my neighbor. Hello. How are you? You have a question? No, I'm not offended. I'm here to teach each one, teach one in the black community, as well as when you're out dealing with people. Because as we said, this country has been going like this for so long that everything is just horrible and right now the dog whistle is always being blown the dog whistle is being blown we know what's going on in politics right now i have already said to my husband as much as i would like to insulate myself we cannot insulate ourselves from everything i don't know where in this world to live because i don't like cold weather that we don't have to deal with the things that are really important. And I'm just going to look at this, um, read this right quick, because this kind of made me, it annoyed me today, which is why I have to stay off of social media. But it said, a black man who made millions in the NFL alongside another black man who also made millions and is accepting a position as head coach of a storied franchise where they will pay him millions is crying about racism and how hard he has it while talking about how he's the first black coach of this franchise. Can anyone let me know where I can be oppressed for millions? Millions of dollars. I'd gladly accept it. <laughs> White folks, wow, oh, boy. They, they wow. That's they don't gaslighting. Get it. <laughs> they don't get it. Because that's not their world. And that's not for me to teach them. The closest thing the white people can equate to racism is the classism that they've experienced as white people. So like if anything is off from that classism, then they can't process it and see it as something that's crazy, right? So like white people have never had to like think about their hair, their eye color, how they talk, their diction, what they have on, any of that stuff to be around other white people, like, unless it's the, in the within the context of you look like a pauper, you look like you can't afford nothing. So then they'll get that, that, that classist treatment from other white people. And that's really the only parallel they have to racism. So when p- black people say that they're experiencing racism and they happen to be rich, white people like they can't compute that because it's like, well, the money should be insulating you from all of that because money makes everything better, at least in our world for us. And it's like, well, no, this thing, racism because works. It, because all that's world. what their world is. <laughs> their world. Mm-hmm. Back in 2005, Flavor Flav said on one of his roasts, uh, what's that? Uh, Flavor Love. Yeah, yeah, all those series. Yeah. People were coming at him and saying that he was a buffoon, a coon, and all these things. And you know what he said? Yeah, that nigga looked at me. He was like, I don't give a fuck what they think. They got to pay me, boy, and ran out the goddamn trailer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it sounds super duper simple. I've had a lot of struggles in corporate America. I would express my emotions like a regular human being. Mm-hmm. 
Then I started realizing you really can't be a regular human being if you're a black person. You, you don't have those same liberties as everybody else has. <laughs> as a black person, me saying something is a little different. It's a different strategy. I learned this. The best way to tell somebody that their plan doesn't work is to run the plan. That is a strategy. We just can't be our authentic self and move naturally without I having... I want to try it, dog. I want to try it. It's 2024. Every move calculated. I tried it. Harvest. Let's try it. I already tried it. And it's a, it was a disaster for me. So I, I'm calculating well, I think that. There's was, it, was it forms. you as a black person or was it you as Lenny that was the problem? I'm just playing. Thank you, Harvey. That's a very good point. Uh, <laughs> as a black person, we we start from our individual selves, right? No. Right. Yeah, so. So I think that being an activist doesn't always mean you have to be all up in someone's face or making like I don't have to go off on you I don't have to say anything to you in this meeting it might be a different way right so just like you let it play out just like Nella was like okay I'm gonna let go off then right like I'm gonna let you go ahead I already gave you the warning I would have I probably would have leaked it myself I would have I would have leaked it right there from my own ghost email and I've been like now let the world see now that might be you being an activist right there also, me being quiet and letting you, like I said something, I gave you the warning. Okay, go ahead. Because now I do work at Howard and um, most days I love working at Howard, but I did not always work at Howard, right? I've worked at other PWI institutions and um, I've heard all types of stuff. Uh, I've been the attending, the supervisor for the team. I've had white residents and students on my team. The nurses, the other team will talk to the white male on my team, if I'm coming to see the patient, they won't assume that I'm the doctor or that I'm the supervisor, even though I have a badge that says that, right? They go straight to talking to a white male on my team because they think that that's who's in charge. And do I say something immediately? I let them go ahead. I let them, I'm like, yes, yes. And then I'm like, by the way, I'm the attending. So I make the decisions. I just wanted to let y'all know that. Like, and I, Oh, we didn't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you say it just like that too, don't yeah. you? I do, I do, because I could be an activist without yelling, without being angry or anything, because that's not even my vibe. It makes my head hurt, and I already have high blood pressure, so I'm not going to be yelling anywhere. Um, It's very rare that anyone can say that they ever heard me raise my voice, but I'm going to get my point across, and I'm going to be very direct, so it doesn't always mean, like, in your face, rah, rah, rah. There's times when people have called my students, myself, in the N-word in medicine, like, I don't want to see that black B. I don't want to see, like, well, guess what? I'm the only one in here. And I'm like, I'm a, bye. I'll see you when you need some help. Goodbye. See you later. Find somebody else. Get somebody else to do it. Excuse me, can you record me real quick? Mm-hmm. Can you record me real quick? Mm-mm, get somebody else to do it. Oh. So it doesn't always have to be uh, in your face. And for Flavor Flav, now, it's well known that I always love those shows. Um, But if that was Flavor Flav's authentic self... And that's how he acts. And they paid him for that. Okay. Now, if he was doing extreme shucking and jiving and that's not how he is, like, inside, he's different, then I would say, like, I don't know. This back to Sharkeisha. Are you going to say something? you going to say sorry or not? But 
But if that was who he is and that's how he acts and that's how he enjoys his life, then go off the flavor. That's what I have to say. Because racism doesn't allow us to actually be um, like full human beings, like on whatever whatever side you're on, whether you're the non-white or the white. Like it doesn't allow white people to be fully compassionate because they always have to have assumptions about everybody. And then it doesn't let non-white people be who them, who they are because – now we're always afraid that we're going to be this caricature. So like to Teresa's point, black women do get angry because black women are human beings and human beings get angry. But since racism has been put on us, black women don't get to be fully human. They are either super docile or they're always angry at something. And you, you never get to be like this, in, never get to be a full person. And I think that's kind of like what was going on in this story. So Nella is being black, but not quite fully herself at the job. And then you have Hazel, who's like super whatever, but also still a fraud in some way. So like nobody ever really gets to be an authentic person under under this system. And I think that's kind of what the book was trying to illustrate. So it's like, well, if we're going to be fake, should we be faked and stressed out with this? Nat- this fake and paid. Exactly. What 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 is fake and paid with my and not feel it because they're not feeling it no more either. That's the other part about it. But Mm. Donovan, you just made a good point for me that I didn't even think about reading this lovely piece of work here is that nobody said anything to the white the author of Sharkisha, whatever. Like he had a whole tantrum. He was falling out. Mm -hmm. Like he was so Mm -hmm. disturbed. Like couldn't believe like couldn't believe this. Like even in my mind I could see, you know, reading it before the show. Like I could see like he's just having a whole tantrum, wilding out, falling out just because someone gave you a minor critique. But nobody ever said anything to him. Like Well he was being indignant because he was pulling uh, what uh, what some of those comments were in on Twitter or whatever this X now is what the white fragility and Ooh, oh my god you call me a racist <laughs> did you just call me a racist she called me a racist yeah. so that, but nobody said anything to him like he was they just swooped in to of save course him. not because they <laughs> felt they feel cow. like that is the ultimate the He's ultimate the but it's mm-hmm. also that the ultimate insult to a white person now is if you call them racist racist. because at no point do they feel like they are being racist for a matter of fact one of those comments said that they feel that black people are the ones who are racist because we're always the ones talking about race i love when they say that though we're always the ones that are bringing up they they think that we are always complaining because (laughs) we don't get then they're like you know you've done all of this you've had a black president you're still not happy (laughs) um you know, it's all of those things that they cannot see. And this country has never thought about attacking this with empathy training instead of all of this protection of white fragility and just, you know what, just pretend it didn't happen. And then and then it discredits so many other people. It's just not done well. 
And you come up with this and you get an author who was trying to write a book in whatever genre she was writing from to show us how this is existing and have us all confused. Yeah, whatever genre, because I'm still confused about what genre she yeah, was writing is from. It? But is it mystery? Yeah, I mean, is it drama? Yes. Is yes. It I think it was. It was. It was he necessary. Was they so put it on the supported. screen. They they catered to him, and I think that that's what coddled. happened. <laughs> coddled. Yes, that's better. That's thank like, you. Thank you. You better give me my vocabulary over there, like Yes. Um, what they, to an author? Oh no, we oh, gotta. No. You gotta but that's also their their funds, right? The, so that's one of their top. Yeah, authors, somebody so. did that for Little Thug at some point until. For young, you say for young, young thug. thug. Young thug. thug. I said little thug. thug. Young thug. See, there you go. Little, little thug. Little thug. thug Romeo. Oh, oh, Usher. Oh, everybody. Um, but yeah, it's a line family. One thing that I've always found to be true: white people are very loyal to the money. When the money's involved, you'll become their best friend. They'll let you. Like if you're the black person that's bringing in the money, if you're that author that. That's the cash cow. They'll coddle you too. But that's the yeah. But you know extent, we've discussed right? this before the like capitalism players, in this country. They'll until you do something way too bad, right? Until you do well, something. It's, well, it's the whole capitalism. capitalism. It doesn't matter. It's, if you it, do something way too bad, and it has to do with the money. If it has nothing to do with the money, you oh just, yes, it's upset yeah. like John Moran over there. Like yeah, you're starting to upset with our money. Um, but back to uh, your point about <laughs> the biggest insult for um, white people is to call them racist, um, and then they'll say, "Well, I think the black people are racist." But a key component that they're missing here is the leveraging of power. Like how are black people? They don't care about that because there's that element about the. But power. they don't care about that. That, so, that's not even what they're looking like at. They're, I, how how am I how am I racist and I can't do anything to you? But you could oppress way. me. You made me feel a certain way, and that's what racism is about. Well, and this is me. this has happened to me for real. Like in real life, I um have like done a diversity event for medicine and psychiatry. Um and someone said that they didn't want people to reply to my email anymore. They're like, can you stop replying to this? And I was like, well, I just want students to know where it's safe for them to go. So if you don't want them to reply, I don't see you saying you don't want anyone to reply to any other email except for my email as the Mm. black program director over here. And then they sent me a side email was like, are you saying I'm racist? And I was like, I don't know. Do you feel like you're racist? I don't, I'm not sure. Um, But if you email me again, I'm going to screenshot it and I'm going to put it on Twitter. So leave me alone. (laughs) But did you say that? I I did because that's who I am and I don't play. Um, So, but calmly, right? I didn't, I didn't cuss or anything. I'm, I'm calm, but leave me alone because you could call me cat. Danny Williams of medicine one day because I'm going to leak all of this out here <laughs> one day when I'm ready to retire. Um, I'm going to tell all of the things. Please that do. Craziness that happens in medicine. Crazy things that we hear and that we see and observe that are straight racist. So they cannot take being called racist or even like the inkling that they might be doing something that's biased. Are you from the D.C. area? I'm from the area. I am, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> from the area. How can you tell? Did you attend Howard? Yes. In undergrad. So undergrad, I went to Rutgers. That was the first okay. time I was ever called an N word, because um, I 
grew up in a very blackety black um, mm-hmm. either DC or PG County, a very black, black. Um, area. So then I went to Jersey for undergrad. Then I came back to go to Howard for medical school. And I've been here, Howard residency. Then I went to um, another place further up 95 in Baltimore. And then I came on back, came on back. But uh, yes, when I went to Rutgers, it was definitely a different space, but uh, there's a lot of black students at Rutgers. So I didn't, like I felt very much at home until I got called the N-word, <laughs> um, which had never happened to me until one of the loudest brothers I know is from Rutgers and he ain't blackity black. He's Peruvian, Eddie Benelli. Oh, You know Eduardo? No. Y'all know Eduardo? Eduardo was, I, he, I do like Peruvian chicken. I yeah, do too. I was going to yeah, say. Eddie Pinelli is a little different. Eddie yeah. he's a little I, different. <laughs> I think sometimes we get bigotry mixed up with racism, although in close relatives, but sometimes this stuff be bigotry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The power. White people express how we feel sometimes. I know I'm about to get side-eyed, but when I was hearing that tirade from that principal in Baltimore, some of that stuff I kind of understand. But um, you're not in a position to say that. But um, Well, number one, okay, so this is the thing. I be feeling that way too. You have to have, but you have to be able to have some type of compassion. You have to have some type of empathy. And then you have to understand uh, the systems that are in place that make these things happen. So I deal with it every day. And, you know, and that's what I tell people. I don't really want to hear you complain about things, uh, black, white, yellow, purple, unless you are in it trying to do something to help with it. But yes, and, and I alluded to the fact. So, I mean, not necessarily the side eye, but I alluded to that in the beginning because there are some things that we do that make sense. There are certain places that we don't live because we're like, I don't want to live over there and I don't want to live over there because it's not safe. And we all know what I'm talking about. There are certain things when I talked about, is there an angry black woman? Absolutely. We know what we're talking about. Is there, is there an area of town that you do not want to go to? Absolutely. Now, what the issue is for me, though, is that I understand it. And I'm not blaming people for their situations. I'm not saying, oh my God, you're horrible people and I can't be here. I'm saying that, hey, I'm going to help you try to get out of this situation. But if you cannot and or will not, I'm still going to go to my house and live my life where I live my life. But it's our personal responsibility to try to make changes in the system. And it was his job to make those changes. And when you go on a rant like that and somebody catches it and puts it out there, you get what you get. Agreed. Good time for the lit bars. Lit bars is portion of the podcast where you read something and you say hey i really like how they put those words together or that was very poignant that was very thoughtful this is segment of the talk with marvin 
actually got some liquor. Uh, I got one. Is dick in the room? <laughs> Stole mine. <laughs> I am sick of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, kids. Look, oh, that's the wrong book. Hold on. I got. I got notes from the wrong one. Oh, I'm tripping. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, there we go. You know how you call white people? Excuse me. You know how white people get when you call? You know how white people get when they think you're calling them racist? Talk about that. You are black, and the fact that you are black colors everything you say. She was embonded. She sauntered. These was two little cool words that I like. Um, black people just really need to be given a choice, period. She was doing what she had been taught to do, to stand still for so long that when she started to run, they would be so dumbfounded they didn't even follow. Get an agent first before he pays someone a rando on the internet $800 to do a dope-ass cover. <laughs> um, oh, here's a long one. It's just really... It's just, it's just as really so damn unfair. White people never have to be as hyper aware of themselves as we do. When they walk into a room, they don't have to instantly clock the demographics and analyze what they see. They don't have to worry about how to represent the millions of different black perspectives in this country because the hiring managers are too lazy to bring in a few others. Half the time, I don't think about these things, but the stress and anxiety that of that underlying weight is still there. And then here's the last one. <laughs> the space in between my breasts had grown sweaty to the point of no return. Teresa, you have some lip bars? Okay. I have some. Go along with the machine or stick your foot in his gears. Be woke but also keep some of that sleep in your eye. Could it be dick? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Uh, what? What's the context for that? You like, like that one. They're just 12-year-old boys. That's okay. all. all right. <laughs> context is Richard is the man. Richard is the man. Oh, that's called Richard. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I don't believe it, but okay. Yeah, it was on page 165. I see. Hey, we, hey, we didn't write it. We didn't write it. She didn't have to. Call I mean, him I don't believe that about we'll Richard. That's what I was she didn't, to, she didn't have to call him Dick. She just called him Richard. <laughs> you have your lip bars. Um, I just have my one. Um, we always find a way of finding our way back to each other. Okay. Did you have any lip bars, Doctor Danny? Well, thank you for asking. I, I do have ones that I liked. Um, so I think the bars I liked were from the fictional, fictional character, Jesse Watson, um, the Twitter activist or social media guy. Yeah, we didn't even talk said, about him. Yeah, he said... <laughs> Light-skinned Jesse. Light-skinned Jesse. Uh, okay. He said, you may think they're okay with you, and they'll make you think that they are, but they really aren't. They never will be. Your presence only makes them fear their own absence. Talking about white white colleagues. Yeah, that it was that one for me. Before he got the cream. You about to take my job. Just before he Why got that cream. There? I'm mm -hmm. scared. 
They let another one in. All these diversity hires. Donovan, did you go with us when we went to the DR? Uh, and, and and hold on, when I went to go get my haircut, when you went in the city and I went to go get that haircut, were you with us oh, that no. time? I wasn't with you with that. Oh, Man, so happened? I went. So we we went into the city and I was like, y'all come with me. I, I gotta go get a haircut. So we went to like the local barbershop. Mm-hmm. and I didn't understand the um, the Dominican culture on how they cut hair. So the dude cut my hair and I thought he was done. And he started putting some cream in my head. And he was like, first he washed it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, because I was like, all right, we done yet? Then he washed it. Then he started putting some cream in my head. And I was like, hold on, man, what you got in my head? And and all of them in there laughing. My line brothers dying laughing. And I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, man, take this cream out. I'm like, I didn't ask for this shit. You know, I thought they was trying to process my head. And put an no, S curl or something no, in there. No, I didn't know what was going on, but it was at Duke. Now I, I later found out it was just conditioning, and that's what they do. They do all this, you know, stuff. Yeah, they're known for that. Yeah, but you know, I didn't know what was going on, and I think that's what happened with Jesse. Jesse went to the barbershop, uh, and he got that cream in his head. He didn't ask for it. I know black. I Dominica. Yeah, me no black. Me no black. <laughs> me no black. Me no black. Oh, man. No black. black. I don't black. That's why you got to right. go over to Haiti. Don't Teresa. just go to DR. Lennon. Go on over to Haiti. <laughs> uh, rate this book one through ten. I'm going first. Oh, no, you don't go first. It's I'm her sorry. pick. Yeah, it's her pick. Shocking me. What was I thinking? I probably wasn't. Let me rate this book one through ten. And stop shocking me. Stop, girl. I'll give it a seven and a half. Yeah, mm. that's a good number. Harvey. That's my number, seven and a half, man. I think this thing is is uh what I say, juicy as a nine liter. <laughs> like <laughs> like oh, it ain't even God. there. You know what I mean? <laughs> it ain't even there. But it's 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 a good thing. Hey, we talked about it. I think it's a good thing to get you started talking, but I don't think the book connects where it should um i did watch the show and i actually think the show was better it provided much better context much better visual for me to see that this is a comedy thriller drama it is all of the above i think once you see it on the screen you you get to see the different dynamics that the book doesn't do a good job with but uh it's a seven and a half donovan you know i'm gonna give it an eight this this round because um it is a comedy. Like at first I didn't like it because I was like, where are you going with this? Like you done messed up this dramatic story. Or like well, you could have taken to so many different places. But then when Teresa elucidated to me, I was like, well, this is a comedy. Like this ain't, maybe I shouldn't be taking it as serious. Maybe I should just put some grease on my head too. Don't and do it. Roll out. No. And relax. <laughs> relax. <laughs> <laughs> I just need some writing adapt. Um, so coming in it was a six point five. Talking to y'all took me a little bit to a seven because I saw some some benefits there. Y'all got her a little bit more, but it's really just for the first two thirds. That last one third was a mess for me. It was too much 
going Agreed. on that was not connected. Like flashbacks to the forward, to the to the why did she why did she go to that other side? They didn't even explain that to me clearly. Like why did Nella become the new Hazel? I know the sci-fi comedy. If y'all feel like it was a comedy, I'm gonna give it a seven. I'm gonna uh, after talking to y'all, I'm gonna give it a little, a little bit now. But did Nella not become the new Hazel? She did. She did, right? Yeah, that's what. Okay, yeah. that's I, I, okay. But that's why? What, I was, like, what was that really that forced her or? Because she was about it. to beat her behind in that bathroom. <laughs> yeah, she snatched her up in that bathroom, and Nella got scared. And Nella said, "You know what? Like, yeah, right. she she Fine. beat her down. Yeah, okay. she beat her down in that bathroom. Whatever you say. In, in the movie." In the movie, the ending redeemed itself because it was intentionally trying to make Hazel seem like the protagonist. Like she had the panacea to all the problems. All you got to do is take this and shoot up to the top. That's why you keep going hard in the paint for Hazel. No, that's not why I keep going hard in the paint for Hazel. Also in the movie, it shows that other side of activism. I've heard Sway say it the best. We can really make change. But the problem is we're not willing to give up something. That was the Kendra's in the show. She, to me, represented that. If you really want, you really about this life, you know, you really about it. You got to stay off the grid. You got to get rid of capitalism and play into all these things. Buying Jordans, getting these cash mirrors, getting these iPhones, spending all this money. The more you fuel the economy, the more you view racism, it like it works together. It's like it's like a small Ooh. cog in the bigger thing. We fight against it, but then we work for it at the same time. I was just hearing this um this thing about the warden at Angola. He just gave a press conference and he was upset that a lot of the prisoners are getting released. He was like, they're releasing our good guys, the guys who who wash the cars and service this and how are we going to get all this maintenance and free I don't want labor that these inmates uh, are doing okay? They are a necessary evil to keep the doors open that we keep a few or keep some out there. And that's the ones that you can work. That's the ones that can pick up trash, the work release programs. But guess what? Those are the ones that they're releasing. In addition to the, in addition to the bad ones, and I call these bad, in addition to them, they're releasing some good ones that we use every day to, to wash cars, to change oil in our cars, to cook in the kitchen, to do all that where we save money. Well, they're going to let them out. Those are the ones that they release it. That sounds like, how, I, how are we going to work this farms and all the workers are gone? Right! After the Civil War. How's the plantation going to run without my slaves? And this was recently. So yeah. that's what I saw in the Kendra's character in the book. I like um, that take. I hadn't thought about her in that way, but I yeah. Give up everything and come to Iowa. You got to be about this life. This life is, is not yeah. glamorous. We minimalists. We got to live off grid. If you really about it, you can't serve two masters at the same time. Mm. And that's what we find ourselves doing when we buy into all this other stuff and buy new products and have Christmas and spend money on all these holidays. I know you lie. No, I'm for real. Though. I know you lie. I wish I was. No, you didn't just bring me into this. 
Oh, when I say Christmas, you stepped into it? No, you you did all of that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's what I think. Teresa, did you get a chance to rate the book? Did I get a chance to rate the book? I have not got a chance to rate the book yet. This is your opportunity. It is my turn. Yes, okay, absolutely. well, let's go with it. So, um, in the beginning, I gave it a five. And I was like, how are you going to give a five to the book that you picked? And then I had to call my sister and my cousin and be like, why y'all make me read this book? But I digress. Um, I gave it some points back once. I thought about it and, you know, me and Donovan, and we were the whole thing of what is this? I think that I took away so much from the book because I expected it to be something that it was not. So I had to go and say, if I'm just reading this book and I'm just reading it for entertainment and I'm not expecting anything, what would I give it? And just like Dr. Danny going back and forth from 19, whatever to 2018 and it was hard to do not to mention we did not even discuss the, the whole kid yes it was kidnapping in it it was um it was a whole black panther party field there was a whole underground yeah. movement there were women who they were putting the hair pomade on willingly that were those were the volunteers or the and then there were the ones who it was being done surreptitiously so hey I, it, it was a lot so I gave it back three points just because I was like hey I'm, I'm being a little weird because I'm taking it too seriously it's just a book so um I guess that lands me at eight Five plus three is eight. Yes, it is. So does Shawnee represent the black people that go missing that we never hear from again? You know, Shawnee had to represent. Well, I don't. Well, no, because Shawnee was because she she Shawnee showed back up though, so she didn't go missing forever. Yeah, that's true. Shawnee showed up, and Hazel ended up being her boss. Yeah. I mean, who did I say? Nella. Nella, Nella yeah. Nella right. ended up being her boss. Yeah, we don't it's really too, know, right, about it's too crazy. It's yeah, it's too underground, many. like she's undercover, underground over there. And so, and that's just know. not fair to Shani. Now, is it? Because Shani had Hazel first, now she has Nella. Shani got a bad road deal. She got a bad rap. Portia, Shani just need to use the pomade. That's all. No, no. no. <laughs> It'll make your life better. I mean, I mean, but look, Shawnee got it Go twice. Shawnee, Shawnee got run out of medical school. Like what? What? Oh, Poor Shawnee. I was thinking to myself, what in the world could she have done to her? That was so bad. She didn't even finish medical school. Rough. Medical school is rough. Let me tell you. I'm sure, but I'm not sure how another black girl was gonna come in and steal my spot with some hair pomade. <laughs> Oh, and then oh, and then go in and tell everybody that I was uh, being racist. I, I I don't. Yeah, no. Mm mm. No. Hey. Okay. Hey. Mm, not gonna happen. So the other black girl gets an eight by a whole formula of it got graded on the curve. That's what I do. See, there we go again. Graded it on the curve based on. Uh, some factors that were out of the author's control. Thank you for listening. 
Share with your friends Help us grow by subscribing to us Reposting our stuff on Instagram, Facebook Sharing our episodes via text message Anything you can do And go pick up our next book Leave the World Behind By Roman Alam It was Donovan Pitt Pick it up Stay tuned Hit me up on Instagram Message me Let me know what your thoughts are I'll let you know when we plan on recording If you want to jump on the podcast with us Just IM me And then we'll make something happen In the meantime Thank you for listening And next time who is to say what a nigga will do? Who is to say if you help someone, it's guaranteed that they'll help you? See what I'm saying? Listen to me and see if you can dig this. Smiling faces replaces friends when people receive ends. Now all of a sudden I'm acting funny cause my money's low. But there was no drama when I was living at my mama's home. But I'm not telling a nigga nothing you don't already know. Personal or business, you gotta watch who your friends I'm thinking about hard times, free in my mind. Who in the fuck gon' be my crutch? Holding me up, helping me out, making sure that I stay in touch. Where do I sleep? Who do I turn to when I be low on my cash? Who am I down with the fifth? That niggas be talking about kicking my ass. Who is my friend? Who is my foes? Who do I ask when I wanna know? Something about something when I don't know nothing. My ignorance keeping me out in the cold. Who do I call when I'm in need of a ride in somebody else's car? How do I get from point A to B? It's just too far. What can I get along?